So that song is Mike Edson's favorite song, uh, and you guys know Mike had major heart surgery on Friday. Suzanne texted this morning, said he's doing great, uh, walking, eating, will get moved to a regular room hopefully today, and she just wanted me to thank you all for your prayers um, and your concern, and so praise God uh, for just being faithful in his life. Uh, and our prayer is that God will open the eyes of our hearts today, that we might see him. It's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Take a moment, welcome those around you.
find your way back to your seats. Your will be done by God and Father, as in heaven, so on earth. My heart is strong to self-exalting. Help me seek your kingdom first. As Jesus walked, so I shall walk.
suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one cry and from north to south and east to west we'd hear Christ be magnified were the whole Echoing his eminence, his name would burst from sea to sky, from rivers to the mountaintops. We hear Christ be
Amen. Amen. You may be seated. That is our desire, is that Christ will be magnified in us as individuals, but also in His church, His body. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We're thankful that you are here today. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, you are our guest, and it is a, an honor and a privilege that you would gather to worship with us today. We would love to know that you're here to learn a little bit more about you. There's a couple ways you can do that. One, there's a, a, a card that's there in the pew. There's some cards out there at the welcome desk. You can fill one of those out. Or you can just take your, your camera and you can just scan this QR code and a real simple, short uh, form will appear online and you can just uh, fill it out there and that, that will come to me. Um, if there's a way that we can be praying for you, you can write that on the back of that connection card in the pew or there is a place for you to fill that out online as well. And we want to be faithful to lift you up in prayer uh, this morning. What is a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Beautiful weather, amen? Yeah. We could have had worship outside today. It's beautiful weather. I know a lot of people are traveling uh, this, this weekend with Labor Day weekend, and so we want to pray uh, for safe travels. Uh, just a couple announcements to draw your attention to, then we'll make a couple at the end of the service as well. We have a Sunday school teachers meeting next Sunday at four o'clock in the fellowship hall. So Sunday school teachers, if you'll be here for that, uh, we would greatly appreciate that. There's a women's uh, ministry meal. They're, that's back. They're doing that on Monday the 13th, and so we need you to sign up um, out there in the, the lobby if you are planning on doing that. And also there's a way for you to join our prayer team during the worship service. We have a room in the other building where you can spend some time in prayer. So there's a sign-up sheet. You just write your name and then the date that you want to pray. And then you're just over there praying uh, for God to move and work uh, while we're here uh, worshiping. So there's an opportunity for you to do that. It's open next week. There you go. It's open next week. If you have any questions, the man that just yelled, that's Bill Bailey. You can just see him. He'll, uh, he'll help you out. He's got the information there. And so appreciate his, his heart and desire for prayer. Um, and we need to be a people who pray. So that's available for you. Praying the scripture this morning comes out of Psalm 63, verses 2 and 3. It'll appear on the screen. Let me read it for you. And then you can spend a moment just praying through, meditating upon this verse. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Will you spend a moment in prayer, and then I'll pray for us, and then we're going to worship again by singing the hymn, We Have Heard the Joyful Sounds. Would you go to the Lord in prayer? Father God, you have already heard the cries of our heart this morning through music, but we do pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would enlighten, God, our hearts this morning, that we, as the Apostle Paul says, may know. Father, we're going to see this morning some of those things that we can know. Would you help us to know those things? Father, we have cried out with our words this morning, your will be done. Father, I pray that that wasn't just lip service, but that we actually mean that. And then, Father, we have declared Christ be magnified. Lord, we're going to continue to, to worship you through, through music. We will hear from the choir in, in just a few minutes. And all of this is to stir our hearts and our affections, our knowledge of, of who you are. 
God. Lord, we do pray as, as the psalmist prays here, Lord, that we've looked upon you. And as we look upon you, we do want to behold your power and your glory. As we talk about power this morning, oh God, may we know the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. May we, may we be changed this morning. Father, through your power, will you give life? Through your power, would you help, Lord, just deliver us from our bondage to sin? Father, you speak, you move this morning. And then, Lord, because your steadfast love is better than life, Lord, our lips will praise you. Lord, there should be joyful sounds that are coming out of our mouths, coming from our hearts. Because, Father, you are good and gracious and kind, and yet you are holy and mighty and just. And for that reason, we are to praise you. So, Father, maybe we came in this morning and we didn't really feel like worshiping. Maybe we just weren't feeling it this morning. Father, I pray that we would not focus upon our feelings, but we would focus upon what we know. And as we focus in upon what we know and the promises of your word, Father, that you would turn our hearts towards you and we would worship and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen.
walking where angels have trod and walking on streets of gold. Isn't that going to be something? Let's go ahead and sing some more. Here we go. standing, if you will. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to close out chapter 1 this morning, and then we'll begin with chapter 2 next week. So Ephesians chapter 1. Our text this morning is going to be the last part of verse 18 through verse 23, but in case you weren't here last week, I want to provide you with the context. So we'll begin in verse 4, verse blah, blah, blah. Oh my goodness. I hope I don't do that the whole sermon. Verse 15, and then we'll go through verse 23. This is the word of the Lord. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, 
far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You may be seated. Several years ago, I remember uh, a short little sermon clip of Alistair Beggs began to uh, circulate on social media. Alistair Begg uh, is from Scotland, so he has this Scottish accent. Really interesting uh, to listen to, and he's funny. And so it began making the rounds, and I remember watching it. Well, a couple weeks ago, I saw it making its rounds again on social media. And so um, he's telling of, he was out west, out in California, visiting a church, and uh, he just had a Sunday off, and so he got there, a large church, and he's sitting and waiting, and there's a countdown clock on the screen, five minutes, four minutes, and sure enough, when it got to zero, the, the, the worship team began to, to play the music, and then the worship leader comes out on stage, and he, he asked this question. He said, how do y'all feel this morning? Now Alistair Begg, in a funny little way, said, man, at that point, I was done. Say the benediction, let's go home. He said, what do you mean, how do I feel this morning? He said, I just kicked my dog, and I don't even have a dog. He said, I just got into an argument with somebody in the parking lot about a parking space. He said, I spilled coffee all over my pants. I haven't read my Bible all week, and you're asking me how I feel? He said, I feel like a wretched, miserable sinner. That's how I feel. Look, this morning, I don't know how you feel. Maybe you got into a fight on the way here. It seems like a lot of our fights happen on the way to church. Or you get into an argument. Uh, maybe it's been a rough week for you. Maybe there's some things and you're uncertain about what's going to happen and you're anxious, you're worried. Maybe you're feeling alone this morning. And right, if I were to ask you, how do you feel? You probably would say pretty crummy. Maybe some of you would say, look, I don't even know if I feel like a Christian after the way I acted this week. So here's what Alistair Begg says. He said, don't ask me how I feel. Ask me what I know. He said, ask me what I know. He said, because what I need when I come in feeling crummy is I need to know the truth. I need to know that God loves me. He's forgiven me. He saved me. I need to know. And I'm so thankful that the Apostle Paul, when he writes these, this one long sentence, verses 3 through 14, talking about the blessings that we have in God, I'm so thankful he didn't then say to the church in Ephesus, so hey, how does that make you feel? I'm concerned about your feelings. How do you feel about this? I'm thankful what he does is he goes to his knees, right? He begins to praise God, thank God for them, and then he begins to pray for them. And what he prays is that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened that we may know. Not feel, but that we can know certain things to be true. That these blessings of verses 3 through 14, that we would know what they are. So what are these blessings? Well, we looked at the first one last week, verse 18. Right, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, here's the first one, what is the hope to which he has called you. We talked about our feelings last week, how our feelings deceive us, and what we need is to know the promises of God. We need the gospel, that's what we need. And if we base our life in the promises of God's word, then we have a hope, a living hope, that doesn't fluctuate, that's not all over the place, but it's a hope that is in God. But then there's two more things that he talks about that we can know. And so I want to look at those this morning. The, the second one here is going to be short. The third one we'll spend the majority of our time on. But here's what he says. You may know what is the hope to which he has called you. The second thing, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? The word riches. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And so we talked about this a couple weeks ago. This idea of inheritance. In the scripture, there are these two ideas. One, that we have an inheritance. 
Peter says that inheritance is kept in heaven waiting for us. So we have an inheritance in Christ. But the other idea is that we are God's inheritance. That God has an inheritance and we are His inheritance. And I believe that's what Paul is referencing here. That we know the riches of His inheritance in the saints. So notice this morning that we, as the people of God who have believed in God, we are His treasured possession. Deuteronomy 32 verse 9 says, But the Lord's portion is His people. Right, The Lord's portion is His people. Jacob is His allotted heritage. So Israel was the people of God. They were the possession of God. They were the inheritance of God. And then Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession. So we are the inheritance of God. So we are His treasured possession. Notice also that God's people are precious to Him. Amen? You are precious to God. He gave up His own Son, sent His own Son to die so that we could be His, so that He could buy us back. So God's not just tolerating you. God, if you're in Christ, isn't angry at you all the time, just waiting to pounce on you. No, in Christ you are loved, you are cherished, you are prized. God has an inheritance, and it's you, and it's me, and He loves His inheritance. So what are the practical implications of this for your heart? Again, this is if you have believed in the gospel. This is if you know Jesus. Well, two quick practical implications. Number, applications. Number one is this. No one can treasure you as much as God does. No one can love you or treasure you as much as God does. Right, some of you right now, you're concerned about a spouse. Maybe that spouse has some things going on in his life, and you're, just, you're burdened for them, you're worried about them, and you're going to the Lord constantly praying for them, Keep doing that, and as you pray for them, just know this. Nobody loves your spouse more than God does. Nobody. Some of you are burdened for a child. It could be a young child who's sick, or it could be a middle school, high schooler that's, you can already tell, trying to figure some things out, going through some changes. could be a college student. could be an adult child. You're burdened for them. You're praying for them, maybe for their salvation, maybe for just a, a repentance, something going on in their life. And as you pray for them, as you cry over them, as you shed tears for them, just understand that if they are in Christ, nobody loves them as much as God loves them because they are the inheritance of God. And, and that's, that's assuring to me to know that God loves Landon and Malachi and Ryan more than I ever could. And so I'm limited in some things that I can do for them, but God loves them and he is not limited. But here's the second thing I want to point out to you. Another application is this. Because we are the inheritance of God, let us always choose godly riches over worldly riches. Always choosing godly riches over worldly riches, right? Seek first the kingdom of God. We're his inheritance. Let us be children who seek to make the Father proud. Let us, let us say, not my will, but your will be done, as we sang about, right? Let us store up treasures in heaven rather than storing up treasures on earth. So a couple weeks ago, I was listening to uh, a new Shane and Shane album, a worship album, Shane and Shane. I uh, recommend them. They write a lot of good stuff. Uh, my brother had told me they had put out a new album. And so one of the songs I was listening to is called Psalm 84, I'm Home. And listen to this one line from the song. If all this world was for the taking, and every treasure known was mine, not one of them would ever sway me. I choose my Savior every time. Now let me read that again. And I want you to really think about those words. If all this world was for the taking, 
And every treasure known was mine. So right now, if somebody offered you this whole world, he says, not one of them would ever sway me. I choose my Savior every time. Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer us. So let us choose Christ in, in the godly riches, not the worldly riches. And then he says this, When I bow down before you, I am richer than all kings. When I stand in your presence, I am free. When I sit at your table, I am right where I belong. I'm the doorway of my Father's house. I'm home. Well, you can know the riches of His inheritance that is in the saints. You can know that God loves you, treasures you, prizes you because of Christ, because of who you are in Christ. Again, it's all in Christ. You can know the love of God. You can know this inheritance that is yours in Christ. But then there's a third thing he says, and this is where I want to camp out uh, for the remainder of our time. Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power? The word there is power. It's dunamis. This is the third thing he prays, that we can know the power of God. He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? So Paul here begins as he's praying. He's praying that they would come to know his power. He begins to describe God's power. He starts by piling up these words. He's just using words in, in Greek. He's measuring God's power, if you will, like maybe we would measure uh, light bulbs, the wattage of light bulbs. And so, how great is God's power? Well, what does Paul say? What is the immeasurable, immeasurable, exceeding, extraordinary, supreme, far more, this power, right? The immeasurable greatness, again, the immeasurable greatness, piling up words, of his power, dunamis, toward us who believe according to the working. So it's, it's God's working, the working of what? His great might. So again, he's just piling up words. He's going he's gonna to give us some examples of God's power. So here's what he's praying, that you and I, as those who are in Christ, would know his power. Look what he says. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who, what? Believe. Right? We go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and what? Believed. So God's power is working toward those of us who believe. Church, the power of God is already being displayed in your life if you have believed upon Jesus. This power that Paul is about to describe and explain is already at work in you. This power is available. I got to sit in the last couple minutes of Sunday school this morning, right? Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is what you all were talking about, how the Holy Spirit will come upon us with power. In Ephesians chapter 3, he talks about power a couple more times. This becomes a theme of Paul, that we can know this power. You say, well, pastor, how great is this power? What does this power look like? Well, Paul gives us three examples of where we see the power of God. Number one. We see this power, this immeasurably great power in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right, verse 20. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So Paul's saying, I want you to know the power that's at work in you, the same power that's at work in you. We saw it at work in Christ when God raised him from the dead. Church, this is really, really good news. That the power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that saves us and delivers us from our sin. 
The power that worked to bring Christ back from the dead is the same power at work in your life right now and at work in the life of the church. When we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are talking about how Jesus lives. He's alive. This is life-giving power. This morning, you have no power over death. None whatsoever. Now, due to the advancement of technology and medicine, we can postpone death a little bit better than we could 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. We can prolong someone's life a little bit better than maybe we could 40 or 50 years ago. But here's the reality. No one can escape it. You can, the smartest doctors, the best technology, at some point, that person's going to die. And there's nothing we can do to keep them alive. We cannot escape or postpone death. We can't defeat death. That's bad news for us. But there's really, really good news. Somebody did defeat death. And he is God the Father. And he raised his son Jesus up from the dead. Right, So Jesus Christ lives this sinless, perfect life. He is betrayed. He's arrested. He's He's beaten, he's mocked, he's spit upon, and eventually he's crucified. They place him on the cross, and there on the cross, he dies. They confirm he's dead, right? The spear in his side, he's dead. They place him in a tomb. His lifeless, cold, dead body is placed in a tomb. It is sealed, and it is guarded with Roman soldiers. And Satan wins, because Jesus is dead. In the words of Lee Corso on ESPN game day, not so fast, my friends. Right? Because Satan didn't win. Because on the third day, God raises his son up from the dead. Amen? Somebody testify to that, right? Jesus is alive. So you can't conquer death. I can't conquer death. But God the Father has conquered death in raising his son up from the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. That's why we don't have to fear death. Because he raised Jesus, and if we are in Christ, he too will raise us up by his power. Romans 8, 11, If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is good news. God has defeated death. Christ is alive. And that power that raised him from the dead is at work in you and is at work in me. There's another way we see the power of God on display, and that is not only through the resurrection of Christ, but also in the exaltation of Christ. Look what he says. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So seated him at his right hand, that place of power and authority. Paul probably had in mind Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus said when he was on trial, but I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So again, Acts chapter 1. Jesus is alive, spends a certain amount of days on earth. He then ascends. They watch him ascend. They see his exaltation as he ascends to the heavenly places where he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. Now he is seated there. What is he doing there? Is he just resting? Is that why he's seated? He's just tired? Wore out? No. What is he doing at the right hand of God the Father? Well, look what Paul says. 
when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above, notice the language, not just above, far above. Notice the word all. He is far above all what? Rule and authority and power and dominion. So what is Jesus doing at the right hand of God the Father? Jesus is reigning. He reigns at the right hand of God the Father. All other powers are inferior to Jesus Christ, Lord and King. He is superior over the angels who minister and serve. He is superior to the angels. Jesus is superior to Satan. He is superior to all rule, all rulers, all authority, all power, and all dominion. I can just, I can just picture Paul as he's writing, inspired of the Holy Spirit, already thinking about Ephesians chapter 6 and how we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities. I can see him writing, Jesus is far above Satan. He is far above the demons, far above the evil spirits. He is far above all magic and witchcraft. He is high above all of that. He reigns over them all. Now church, that's a life-changing news for those in Ephesus. Why? Well, take your Bibles and go to Acts. Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. The Apostle Paul shows up in Ephesus, and he begins to do what he always does. He begins to preach. He begins to preach the good news of the resurrected Savior, the ruling, reigning Savior, Jesus Christ. We read in Acts 19, verse 11, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Notice there, Paul is just the instrument. God's using Paul's hands, but it's the power of God at work. And so the power of God is on full display here. Now you drop down. Drop down to verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. That was a lot of books they just burned. That's a big bonfire. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. What is happening here? Well, the people in Ephesus had been surrounded by idol worship. They were members of the occult. They had practiced magic. Their entire life was built and based upon these things that they would read in the magic books. And then they come to know the name of Jesus. And they begin to see how Jesus not only saves them, but changes them. And what do they do? They take all of these things they once had built their life upon, and in burning them they are saying, Jesus is superior to this stuff. Jesus is better than this stuff that we used to give our life to. He is superior to all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and above every name that is named. And above every name that is named. Not only is Jesus greater not only does Jesus reign but Jesus is also superior we see the supremacy of Christ over governments Jesus the name of Jesus is above every name that is named I can just picture Paul as he's penning this letter thinking about how Jesus is superior to Satan and how Jesus is superior to Caesar that he is mightier and stronger than Caesar could be he is far above. 
He rules over every human ruler, all authorities, all powers, and all lords. Jesus Christ, our King, church, is far above every king who has ever sat on a throne. He is superior to every prime minister, every dictator, and Jesus far outweighs every president we've ever had. No one comes close. No one comes close to who Jesus Christ is. But look at this. He's ruling and reigning. Look what he says. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Jesus Christ's authority is for all eternity. It's not just for now, and it's not just for some point in the future. He is ruling and reigning now, and He will always rule and reign. Look what He says, verse 22, And He put all things under His feet. To put all things simply means He put everything under His control. Everything was subjected to Christ. Psalm 8, 6, As you have given Him dominion over the work of your hands, you have put all things under His feet. So church, I already mentioned we have no power over death. We also have no power over sin and evil. No power. This week will mark 20 years since 9-11. After 9-11, we sent troops into Afghanistan. The point of what I'm about to say is not to have a discussion whether that was good or not, how long we should have stayed, whether we should have pulled out or how we pulled out. Here's the point. 20 years we spent in Afghanistan training up, keeping our people safe, Thank God there has not been a terrorist attack to that magnitude in 20 years. I pray we don't ever experience that again. But what happened as soon as we began to pull out? Did the Taliban's hearts change? Were they suddenly nice, good, wonderful people? No. What did you see the moment the, the good guys pulled out? We just saw evil. Why? Because as wonderful as our military is, they can't change hearts. And it's the hearts that leads to all of this destruction. That's why there's always going to be wars, because there's always going to be evil in people's hearts. You don't have power over sin and evil. But Jesus Christ does, amen? He rules and reigns over all evil and sin. So here's the question for us this morning. Is there a power strong enough to control and subdue my tongue? Is there a power, someone, who can help me overcome the words that come out of my mouth? Is there a power that can help me in my anger issues? Is there someone who can help me overcome my fears? Is there someone who can remove the bitterness from my heart? Is there a power that can set me free from my addiction? Is there a power that can heal my marriage? Is there a power that can mend my broken heart? Is there a power that can save me from hell? Yes, there is, and His name is Jesus. And that power is yours in Christ. It's yours. So if there is a sin, an addiction, something in your life, there is a power, his name is Jesus, who can help you overcome. But you have got to submit to Jesus. You've got to come to Jesus and trust in Jesus and rely upon the power that is yours through the Holy Spirit that indwells you, who indwells you. And so we see, we see Christ, the power of Christ in his resurrection, in his exaltation, one more in the headship of Christ. In the headship of Christ. He put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Scripture is clear. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. 
Paul mentions that here. He mentions it in Ephesians 5. He mentions it in Colossians 1 and 1 Corinthians 11.3. He says the head of every man is Christ. Christ is the head. Jesus is the head of the church. Jesus has all authority. And he, Paul says he, Jesus, has been given head over all things to the church, which is his body, to the church. That word church means ecclesia, congregation, assembly. We talk about it being the called out ones. So God takes people and he calls them out of the world through Jesus Christ. He saves them and now we are set apart to him. Jesus is the head of his church. And what does Paul say the church is here? He says the church is his body. Paul is going to spend a lot of time, devote a lot of ink to talking about the church in this letter. So let me just say a couple things this morning about the head and the body. The body gathers to worship the head the body the church gathers to worship the head jesus christ i believe i said this in my trial sermon this is all about jesus everything we do is about jesus this is not about me this is not about you this isn't about our preferences this isn't about our wants it's not about our desires we don't gather to make ourselves feel better we gather to magnify and exalt the name of jesus in the second we lose sight of that we no longer become a church we are no longer the church that god has called the the church that jesus shed his blood for we exist to magnify the name of jesus but as the body we are intimately connected with jesus we're the body, the head, the body, the body right, is connected to the head, and so we are connected. And so the body gathers to worship the head. Jesus is always the focus point, but we need to understand the body gathers. The body is expected to gather. Now, in this text, in Ephesians 1, when, when Paul's talking about all things to the church, Paul here is talking about the church universal. He's talking about those who have, who have lived in every age, who've given their life to Jesus, that one day we're going to be gathered around the throne. Jesus is the head over all of his people. But certainly we can make the application, and other scriptures talk about this, that as the members of a, the universal church, God calls us to gather as a local church. And in every local gathering, there are to be a gathering of people who exist to exalt the head Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Acts 12, 1, who belong to the church. Acts 14, 27. They gathered the church together. That's not every Christian who ever lived on every continent. It was a local church gathering together. 1 Corinthians 11, 8. Come together as a church. So this morning, just a couple of minutes, I want us to think about how we, as the body, are to gather to worship Christ. Now, we're, we're smaller in number today because a lot of people are, are gone for the weekend, but, but here's the reality. There are millions of people this morning, maybe some of you watching online, they're not in church today, not because they're on vacation once or twice a year, or not because they're sick or they're homebound. We have homebound members that just can't come. There are people who chose this morning not to gather with the body of Christ. And this wasn't the first time. It's been weeks, months, maybe years since they have gathered with the body of Christ. And there are others who gather, they show up, but in a way, they're still disconnected from the body. So last week, I'm just going to share it 
from my own, my own heart, my own life. So last week, y'all know Ryan and Malachi woke up. They weren't feeling well. And so, you know, this COVID, this COVID time and people are sick. You just got to be really careful. I'm your pastor. I'm called to shepherd the flock. It's my responsibility just to be wise in that. And so I decided I would preach. Um, but when the service was over, I put my mask on. And what did I do? I walked out the side door and I walked to my office and I locked myself in my office. I can't explain to you the feeling that I felt when I walked into my office and closed that door. I felt so empty and disconnected from you. Because here you are talking and fellowshipping and I'm over there. I wasn't available to shake your hand or if you wanted to hug your neck or to pray for you if you needed, or just to smile at you and to say, hey, have a great week. I was disconnected. For 10 minutes, I sat over there. And then I came in this side door, and as I was walking in, I was so pleased to see the number of you outside talking, the number of you in the foyer, and the number of you that were still in here 10 minutes after the service ended. You were just talking. You were fellowshipping. So I made my way up here. I went in, I got my baptistry robe, I let the water out, maybe said hi to a few of you, and then I went back to my office until most of you were gone, and then I left. As I saw you talking, my heart was filled with joy, because that's the body of Christ. We're connected, we're gathered, we had just exalted Christ, we did what we came to do, and now out of that, we're building relationships with one another, loving on one another, so that when the time comes, we can minister and serve one another because we know one another. We're the body. But as my heart was filled with joy, my heart was also burdened, and it was a fresh burden for the number of Christians who were so disconnected from the body of Christ. Because they're never here. They're never here. Or when you're here, you come, you hear, and you walk out and you leave. Now listen, I'm saying this not to try to beat up on anyone. You know that's not my heart. That's the Spirit of God's job is to convict you. It's not mine. I'm not, somebody told me this week, I'm not the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God will work in you. I'm saying this just for you to examine your own heart. Because you can still be here and not really be here. You're disconnected. Um, and man, I felt really, really disconnected. So after the service, you're going to find me right out here. And if you want to come give me a hug, by all means, just give me a hug. Because I felt so disconnected uh, last week. Now, here's what a lot of people say. Well, whoa, whoa, pastor, hold on. You don't got to go to church to be a Christian. You don't got to be a member of a church to be a Christian. Absolutely right. I don't argue with that. I said that several weeks ago, that if some guy on a remote island, a missionary goes and shares Jesus with him and he believes, there's no other believers there. He can't be part of a church. Is he still going to be saved and go to heaven? Yes. I love what Tony Evans said. He put this on Twitter, and it's just really simple and it's helpful. He said, I hear people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And they're absolutely right. Salvation is through faith alone in Christ alone. So let me just make that clear. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. Everybody hear me. Shake your head this way. Agree completely. But I love what he says. He says, but you don't have to go home to be married. But stay away long enough, and your relationship will be affected. So you can be married to your wife and never go home. I don't recommend it. You won't stay married for long if, if that's the way your relationship works. Look, you don't have to be a member of a church to be a Christian. But I can promise you this. You will never know the 
promises of God's word. And you will never grow in your understanding of God's word apart from the body of Christ. It won't happen. It's not. So no, it is not necessary for you to go to church to be saved, but it is really, really, really important in your life. And some of you maybe are disconnected. Some of you maybe you've never joined a church. You're not a member of Northside. You attend, but you're not a member. But I just want to call you to become a member. Talk to your spouse. Come talk to me. Say, hey, what do we got to do to be a member? I want to belong. I want to be connected. I want to be the body of Christ here, worshiping and serving the head of Jesus. Look what else Paul says. We're almost done here. Verse 23. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Right? He fills all in all. One of God's purposes is to make us mature. It's to fill us. It's to grow us to be like Jesus Christ. And we do that as the body. We're connected. We're filled up with Christ. The ESV Study Bible says the church, filled by Christ, fills all creation as representatives of Christ. So we gather as the body. We learn, we hear, we encourage, and then we, we disperse we gather to scatter so that we can represent Christ out in the world. Gathered churches are embassies of heaven. The, the, the Bible uses a lot of metaphors for, for the church. It doesn't really use the word embassy, but, but we, can, we, we can relate to this today. The church is an embassy of heaven. What, what do I mean by that? Well, what is an embassy? An embassy is an officially sanctioned outpost of one nation inside another nation. So the U.S. has embassies all across the world, right? And as they're in that country, they are there representing their home country. So I came across a book this week called Rediscover Church. The whole purpose of the book is just looking at the past year with this pandemic. And again, they understand some churches couldn't worship, people got sick. But this idea that so many people stopped gathering, and now they just, they've never come back because they got out of the habit. And the point is, listen, we need to rediscover church. We need to rediscover why the gathering of God's people is so important in our life. And so this is what they say. What's a gathered church? It's an embassy of heaven. Step inside your church or ours, and what should you find? You should find a whole different nation inside the church. Sojourners, exiles, citizens of Christ's kingdom. Inside such churches, you'll hear the king of heaven's words declared. You'll hear heaven's language of faith, hope, and love. You'll get a taste of the end-time banquet through the Lord's Supper. And you'll be charged with its diplomatic business as you're called to bring the gospel to your nation and every other nation. The church is an embassy, and we gather as the people of God, and we look nothing like the world. That's why they think we're weird and odd, because we look nothing like them, because we represent Christ in His kingdom here on earth. And church, one other thing let me add to, that I'll add to that is this. When you gather as the embassy of heaven, when you gather in a local church, you know what else you see? The power of God over and over and over. The power of God to save a sinner like me. The power of God to save sinners like you. And the power of God to bring two sinners who have been saved by grace into a marriage that loves Jesus and they're not perfect but they love Jesus and they love their families and they want to live for Jesus in the world and we see the power of God and how he changes and he brings us together and he unites us for his glory do you know the power of God in your life wow I pray you know the power of God 
and that you are living in and out of that power. And if you don't know that power, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, will you give your life to Jesus this morning? And if you have lost sight of the power of God, will you just confess that to the Lord and repent of that and say, God, help me to see the power. And if you're struggling with sin or there's something else going on in your life, will you just fall on your knees this morning and say, Jesus, I need your power because I can't do this. I need you to do what only you can do. Do you know the power of God? And are you living out that power? Let's pray together before we sing. Father, we, we give ourselves in your hands right now. Jesus, we ask you to do, Jesus, what you do, and that is you give us life-giving power. God, give life to anyone in this room who is dead spiritually. Anyone watching online, give them life. And Father, would you also rule and reign over our hearts? May we submit our lives to you, to your rule and to your reign. Lord, there, there, there may be some people watching online and they're not a part of a church. They don't belong to a church. They're sporadic in their attendance. They found it convenient, maybe helpful to tune in to, to Northside occasionally and to watch. Spirit of God, would you just draw them to an actual gathering of people? Draw them to the body of Christ so that we can learn of them and know them and encourage them, share the gospel with them one-on-one. -on -one to be able to look them in the eyes and to be there for them and to help them in their walk with Christ. And Lord, if anyone here, God, maybe they're even members, they still feel disconnected. I pray, Spirit, that you would work in their hearts. Help them to have a desire to be more connected. Help us as the body to reach out to them, to bring them in, to help them feel more connected. Lord, if anyone is struggling with sin or God, they're just discouraged or they're down or the circumstances of life have impacted them, would you just speak to them Right now, would you make the Holy Spirit so real to them that they would sense your power and respond, God, to the work you're doing in their life? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. The altar is always open if you want to come and, and pray. I'll be here at the front if you want to come and just take me by the hand and, and give your life to Jesus. Or if you want me to pray for you, I'm more than willing to do that. As we sing, you respond.
Amen. You may be seated for just a moment. I want to make a couple of announcements. Debbie Morris is going to come. She has an announcement. You all know we do the Operation Child Christmas boxes, and I can't believe that's going to be here before we know it. Um, and one thing we're trying to do each year is related to bags to put inside that. So Ms. Debbie has a little bit more about that. Okay, so we're going to have another bag sewing day on September 18th from 9.30 to 1. We moved, moved it back to 9.30 because the men's breakfast is that morning. Um, last time we had one in June, we made 30 bags, and my goal is to make 150 bags. We sent over 150 boxes last year. So if we could have 150 bags, I have close to those number of bags cut out right now. So what I need is help. And I know that Saturdays are busy days, and I know especially with Upwards coming up, or Upwards starting up next weekend, that there's a lot of our people that are involved in Upwards. So if you haven't helped and you would like to help, if you have helped and you'd like to help, I really need help. People who have sewing machines that can bring them and sew, and I need helpers. This is simple. Just if you can operate an iron and you can match two pieces of fabric together, I can use you. So um, please come out. I have a table set up um, out in the foyer so you can sign up. And also, um, if you would like to sew some bags, but you really aren't comfortable or would rather not come to the group, you just see Pat or I out in the foyer, and we have some bags out there, and I will send some home with you if you would like to sew them and bring them back. Okay? Thanks. Thank you, Miss Debbie. It's a great opportunity. So I know, look, we got upward Saturday. So like in our case, Lane has got the second game, but Ryan can come for the, for the first part and help. So uh, maybe you can help if you can't help the whole time, at least for an hour. Any extra help will be greatly appreciated. Uh, one other announcement. So on October 31st, which happens to be Halloween, it's also a Sunday night this year, we are going to have a Trunk or Treat Fall Festival. Uh, there, thank you. Yes. So people got excited. So this is something you all did several years ago, and it's been a while since you've done it. And so this is something uh, the church and the, and the budget, maybe you didn't realize you approved it, but something you approved was to do a, a fall festival and, uh, and something around Easter. And so we're going to do that. So here's what we need uh, from you. So next Sunday, uh, there's going to be, there'll start to be a bucket out there in the foyer. You can bring candy, individually wrapped candy. You can donate that candy. Uh, there also, we did this for VBS, there'll be some tags on the bulletin board. And so you can just grab one of those tags. It'll tell us some of the needs that we, we need for that. And you can grab some of those and bring the stuff back. So we have till the end of October. As we get closer, I'm sure you'll hear of opportunities for ways for you to help and serve with our, with our Upward and Awana. We have a lot of families, again, that maybe they're not churched, but we do something like this. And it's another chance for us to bring them back here and to be able to love on them and share the gospel with them. Plus, it's just really awesome to do things for our own kids. Um, and so that's important to me, that we do something for our kids where they can hear about Jesus and we can just have fun as a body of Christ, as the family of God doing that. All right, Bill Bailey. Where's Mr. Bill? There he is. He's going to come uh, close us with a word of prayer. So if you will stand, we'll be dismissed with prayer. I'll be in the back in the foyer. Come give me a hug or shake my hand if you're comfortable with that. All right, let's bow our heads. Uh, gracious God in heaven, thank you for opening your word to us, giving the ears to hear, dear Lord, for us. Uh, uh, your love is better than life because your love is life. It's eternal life that will never end. Thank you, Lord, for as we've uh, put our trust in that, in the fact, in the work of, uh, of the blood of Christ. Uh, dear Father, for the ministries that, um, that you set before us, dear Lord, for the upcoming uh, upward uh, that is uh, uh, 
about to get in full swing. Dear Lord, you give us strength. Dear Father, give us eyes and give us love for people. Uh, and may they all be done pleasing in your, in your sight, dear Lord, for the activities now that we leave. Um, dear Father, be with us and help us to uh, walk with you. Uh, dear Lord, we may be a blessing to others. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.